I rode in the car with Kevin Williams for hundreds of thousands of miles. He and I went off together doing all kinds of youth events and church events. And one day we were packing up from a particular place where we were and were, were headed home. And I somewhere was looking for my Bible. I was looking somewhere we, where we had spoken, where, where, where we had had the service. And I said, Kevin, I cannot find my Bible. He said, wherever it is, I promise you it's on top of something. Because I have a rule. I never put anything on top of my Bible. I don't put a pen on top of it, not a piece of paper, not the bulletin, not a phone. I never place anything physically on top of my Bible. Not because I'm superstitious or anything like that, but that practice is a reminder to me that nothing is more important than God's Word. That God has spoken to us, showing us who He is, who He calls us to be, and how we can get there. And so in the third chapter of the book of 2 Timothy, the very last letter that Paul wrote, I might have mentioned this to you the other Sundays that we've looked at this book, all of the Bible scholars agree, 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote. Now, the way that the Bible is arranged, Titus and Philemon come after 2 Timothy, but the Bible wasn't arranged chronologically the way that it was put together. These words that we have from Paul, in fact, next week's sermon, you'll see Paul knew he did not have much time left on earth. And so he was trying to squeeze in all of the ministry in these days. Writing to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, the letter we have in the Bible to the Ephesians was written in the church where Timothy was pastor. And so Paul wrote this letter to him, the second of uh, the letters that he wrote, and he said this about God's Word. Would you open your Bibles? Follow along with me, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at the last two verses, verses 16 and 17. Here's what God's Word says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible said he naturally splits into two different sections based on the organization of these verses. And the first main section is the first line, all Scripture is inspired by God. This book is different from every other book that we have. You may have read some books that were really meaningful to you. You may have some books that were very interesting to you, books that you like to turn to. You may have certain authors that you say, man, when his latest book comes out, I can't wait for that. My brother is like that with John Grisham. He has an autographed copy of every single book John Grisham's ever written. And when this latest book comes out in October and November, I will drive up to Reed's in Tupelo, pick up Alan's autographed copy that's been ordered and take He loves John Grisham. And so there are books and authors that perhaps we really enjoy, but this book is unique, different from every other book that is on the planet. Why? Well, you may have a translation that says something a little bit differently. What I just read was, all Scripture is inspired by God. Your translation might say something like, all Scripture is breathed out by God, or it is God-breathed. What we who belong to the faith of Jesus Christ hold to is that although human authors were the ones who put the words down on paper, that God's the one who guided them. 
Now, they weren't robots who, who were just dictating, yes, what else do you want me to say? God used their vocabularies. If you read letters written by Paul, you can see that, that, they're, that it, they are different from the book of James, for example. You can see that Mark wrote from a perspective that seemed to have a lot of action in it, whereas Matthew had a lot of Old Testament references in it. And so God used their personalities, their experiences to put these words together, but God is the author of the book. And so since God is the author of the book, there are some characteristics about it. One, it is true. We don't ever have to fear that we're going to turn in this book and say, you know what, I'm just not sure that that's exactly right. Since God is the one who breathed out these words, we know that they are true. Also, the fact that God's word is inspired means that it is unfailing. It'll be true in every situation. We won't ever come upon a circumstance and say, you know what, I know what the Bible says that I am supposed to do in this situation, but I think I found an exception. I think that I found a way that I can kind of loop around this and not be obedient to what God's Word says. It is unfailing. It is true in every situation. And God's Word is permanent. It'll always be true. If this world keeps spinning until the year 10,000 A.D., I don't know that we'll make it to 2024, but if this world keeps spinning until the year 10 A.D., people will still be turning to this book and say, you know what, that's exactly right. This book is unique from every other book. It is true and unfailing and permanent. Since it is unique, we should read it differently than the way that we read any other reading material. Now, I want to use some examples of types of reading material that I had in high school to show you various ways that people read God's Word. Three different types of reading material that I read in high school that show various ways of how people approach God's Word. One type of reading material that I had in high school was homework. Now, I am a conscientious person. I'm a responsible person. And so even though I did not enjoy doing homework, I did it. I completed all of my assignments. I wanted to make good grades. I wanted to be able to go to college. I wanted to be able to go, go to a good college. I didn't want to have to go to Ole Miss. And so I worked to try to, I'm sorry, Amanda, I saw you sitting out there and just <laughs> knew that you would appreciate it. And so I really worked on my homework. I was diligent about completing it. If the math teacher said... We want you to work problems 1 through 47 odd tonight. I worked problems 1 through 47 odd. If the science teacher said, hey, I want you to read these uh, pages in the science book. I read that. Whatever. I completed those assignments, but I never enjoyed them. I never went to the teacher and said, please give us more homework. I just, wanna, I just can't tell you how much I enjoy it. Please give me more. I completed the homework. I did it, but I never enjoyed it. I did it out of a sense of duty or obligation. I thought I would get in trouble or suffer consequences if I did not do the homework. And that's the way that some people read God's Word. It's nothing more than a duty to them. It's an obligation. They even sort of dread it. They may have to squeeze it in moments before they fall into bed. And the only reason that they read is because they know they're supposed to. Or they fear that something bad is going to happen if they don't. That's one type of reading material. And it's one way that people read God's Word. 
There's another type of reading material that I had in high school, the sports section. In the mornings when I would get up, I would make my way down the hallway, I would, you know, wash my face, take a shower if it was the time of the year for me to shave, I would shave, done, and then I could move on to senior year. And then I would go into where we would eat breakfast. My dad owned a restaurant, so he was always gone before we ever got up for school. And sometimes my mother might cook breakfast, but we might eat cereal or Pop-Tarts or something like that. But I would go out into the driveway and get the Clarion Ledger. I would bring it in, and I would read the sports section. And I enjoyed reading the sports section. Nobody forced me to. Nobody, nobody made me read the sports section. I read it because I wanted to. And I read it uh, uh, thoroughly. If it was baseball season, I would read uh, about uh, the scores from the previous night. I would even look through all the box scores to see who had a good game. Oh, he had a home run. I read the sports section, and I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Not, not reading it because anybody made me to. But... If a day came and maybe I woke up later than I needed to, or maybe I had a really big test on a certain day and didn't have a chance to read the sports section, maybe I had to get to school early for a club meeting. I was president of Nerds of America three years in a row. And so maybe I had to get to school early and did not have time to read the sports section. If I, if I didn't have time to read it, I did not go through the school day under a cloud of gloom. I didn't go around and, and have people say, Gary, what, buddy, you look really down today. What's, what's the matter? I didn't get to the sports section. the same. I read the sports section because I enjoyed it. I wanted it to. I wanted to. Nobody forced me to, but it wasn't essential to me. I could go a day or two or a week or two, a month or two, and not ever read the sports section. And nothing about my life was really different. And that's the way some people read God's Word. They enjoy reading it. They don't read it out of a sense of duty or obligation. They don't feel like God's going to zap them if they don't. They enjoy reading it. But it is still optional for them. If they go a day or two a week or two, a month or two without spending any real time in God's Word, they don't notice a difference. Because although they enjoy the Bible, it is not essential to them. There was a third type of reading material that I had in high school. Love letters. I remember both of them. I hate it for you teenagers that you don't write on paper anymore. You do not write the same on a phone as you do on a piece of paper. You don't even use words. It's, it's uh, letters C-U or I-K-R for I know right. I, you just don't write the same on pieces of paper. You don't even use punctuation, <laughs> which is why our country's going down. <laughs> One of the reasons. And so when I would sit in class and hear, psst, psst, and would look back and see a folded piece of white paper making its way across the room, 
And then when that paper landed on my desk, flipped over, the moment the teacher turned her back and started writing on the board, I tore into that letter. (sighs) And then I would read every single word in it. Now, you know the answer to this. When I finished reading it, what did I do? What? No, no, no. (laughs) I read it again. The ones that came from cousins, I never checked yes, and so I didn't do that. After I finished reading it the first time, I read it the second time. And this time I was trying to soak up everything that was in there. I would, I would look and try to read between the lines. What does she mean by that? Why did she say that? Why does she keep using the words ruggedly handsome over and over and over? What is this this, this means? And when I finished reading it, I folded it up and kept it in my pocket. And throughout the rest of the day, I kept reading it because I did not want to miss anything in there. What what this girl was expressing, I wanted to know every part of it. That's the way we should read God's Word. I know the metaphor is overused, but this book is God's love letter to us. It is God pulling back the curtains of heaven saying, here's everything I want to say to you. This book is different from every other book. And since it is, we read it differently than we read any other book. That's the first part of the Bible study. The second part comes in the next sections where Paul says, here's why you should read it. Here's what it's good for. Here are the benefits that you receive From reading God's Word, the first line says, all Scripture is inspired by God. But then he says, and is profitable. Everyone knows what profit is. That's the return that you get uh, from your investment. If you own a business, it's after you pay all of your expenses, what you get to bring home. Profit is what you want. And so Paul said, all Scripture is profitable for teaching. It shows us what is right. When we're trying to navigate, God, what type of person do you want to be? Who, what are you saying about this particular situation? God, I really don't know how to respond in these circumstances. We turn here because God's word is useful for teaching. It shows us what is right. But then the Bible says God's word is also useful for rebuking. It shows us what is not right. When you and I are thinking, speaking, or behaving in a way that is displeasing to God, we start engaging with God's Word and the Holy Spirit begins to do His work in our hearts and shows us that's not right. The way you spoke to your parents, what you did in that work situation, how you handled that, that is not right. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict us through the Word. Have you ever been sitting in a church building or in a youth room And as the person teaching the Bible started talking, you thought to yourself, who told him? Who who told him? You thought that somehow 
that person had gotten some inside information about something that you had done, and you were thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. But the person didn't have any inside information. That's just God's word going to work. It's useful for rebuking, but God's word doesn't leave us there. The next word is that God's, use, God's word is also useful for correcting. It shows us what is right through teaching. It shows us what is not right through rebuking. But then it shows us how to get back right through correcting. Any teacher can tell you that his or her job isn't complete if all they do is tell students they are wrong. They have to show them, here's where you made that mistake. Here, it, look, you, you were working this problem, fine, but then, fine, but then this, this step right here, that's where you got off. Or, no, you misunderstood Abraham Lincoln's statement there. What a teacher does is not just start marking the things that are wrong. They say, here's how you get back right, so does God. God says, when we have made messes of our when we shrug our shoulders and say, God, I don't even know what to do next. I have handled this situation terribly. Look at the price that I'm paying. Look at the consequences that I'm dealing with. Is there any hope for me? God says, get in this book. Because it is useful for correcting. I'm not saying that the process is easy. I'm not saying that get, getting back on the right path is just snapping your fingers. But what I am saying is that this book is the wisdom that shows us when we have messed up, that we can get back right. God's word is useful for correcting. And then Paul says God's word is useful for training. It shows us how to stay right. God isn't concerned or God doesn't desire if we have brief momentary spurts of passion for him. If our spiritual lives are just like roller coasters where, man, that camp was really good, but now school has started in this and this and this, God's not interested in a roller coaster of, God, I love you so much, and now I'm not anywhere near you. Training enables us to stay right. I have a friend who runs just about every year the St. Jude Marathon in Memphis. Some of you may have done that. I've never done it and don't intend to. But I have a friend who runs the St. Jude Marathon every single year. His family has had some childhood cancer. He says, I'll run it every year. But do you know what? He does not just show up on the day of the race and say, well, let's go. 26.2 miles is a long way to run. And so Murray goes into training because he doesn't want to be able to run just one mile. He doesn't want to run just two miles. He doesn't want to run just five miles or ten miles. He wants to go all 26.2. And in order to complete the course, he has to go into training. One of the reasons that so many Christians have anemic spiritual lives, guided only by the emotion of the moment, is because they are not in this book. And when they feel close to God, man, they love it. But when they don't feel close to God, there's no strength to keep going. Murray told me, he said, I don't ever feel good during the race. You know, when I'm running at mile 18, I don't say, man, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced. But because of the training, he keeps going. We don't want our lives to 
crumble. We don't want our lives to fall apart when bad things happen. But for us to have strength to keep going, we have to have God's word which trains us and keeps us going in the right direction. And then I love this metaphor. I know I'm running short on time. We've still got the offering to do, but... But I love this image, this word picture that Paul used here. Down in verse 17, he wrote, if you will use God's word this way, if you won't just make it a surface level, if you will really engage in God's word, verse 17 says, here's the result, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That image, it's a great Bible word picture. Many students in just a couple of months, in fact, in some cases, not even a couple of months, many students in just a matter of weeks are going to pack up and they are going to head off to college somewhere. And when they move into the place where they are going to live, they have two different options of the type of place that they can live. One place is an empty room, and it has nothing there. It's called unfurnished. And you go in and if you want a refrigerator or a microwave, if you want, uh, you know, a little toaster oven or things like that, you have to provide all of those. If you want to watch television, you have to bring that. And those rooms are called unfurnished. Those apartments are called unfurnished. In other words, you can live here, but it's not ready for you yet. It's not ready for you to, to get here. But there is another type of living situation. It's called furnished. And when you walk in there, there's a television, there's a sofa, there's a recliner, there's a microwave, there's a refrigerator. And all of those items are present. The only thing you have to do is bring your towels and bedspread. You just bring your own personal items and this place is ready for you to come and live. That word, uh, these words of complete and equipped are the same ways that we look at furnished apartments. They're ready. You just go in and start living there. They're ready. What Paul said, Timothy, if you, will, if you will engage in this book, if you will make it a regular part of your diet, you will be ready for God to do everything He wants in you and through you. Do you see that? Equipped for every good work. Everything that God would desire to do in our lives, through our lives, for us, hinges upon our engaging in this book. He said, you'll be like a furnished apartment where God can step and say, I can do some things here. I, I, I can get to work here. This place is ready. And so we want to engage in God's word. The summer, typically, for people is a little more relaxed than other times of the year. For students and teachers, you don't have the same level of school responsibilities or things like that. For other people, the pace may be a little more relaxed. I would really like to challenge you to make the next six to eight weeks or so time that you say, I am engaging in God's Word. With a little slower pace, I have more of an opportunity to build a habit of learning what God wants me to be, Him showing me who He is and how I can represent Him well in this world. We're going to have a time of commitment today. Philip, you come and we're going to sing a closing song of commitment. Perhaps there are people who are here and you've never...
receive Jesus Christ as Savior. The Bible won't make any sense to you without, a, without being a part of God's family. And so maybe there are people who have questions about how to begin following him. Maybe you have other ways that you'd like to talk or pray. I'll be here for just a moment, and then we'll receive our offering and make some announcements. Let's stand together, please.